Heavenly Father, we need your help this morning. We have your word before us, but we have hard hearts and we have deaf ears so often to your word. Lord, please soften our hearts this morning. May we be ready to hear from the voice of our Lord Jesus Christ and may we be strengthened and encouraged as a result. Lord, use me this morning to be a prophet here, to be your mouthpiece and to proclaim what you have said and encourage the sheep here this morning to follow you all the more faithfully as they begin and continue that journey to paradise itself with you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's not nice to be turned away. It's not something we enjoy. I've been turned away by people many times in my life. One of the uh, most memorable is when I was looking for a part-time job. When I was going through uh, the end of high school and then into university, I needed some money and my parents were no longer providing at the level that I was spending, so I needed to get some employment. And so I went round all the different retail shops in the area thinking I could find a job there. And many shops you go into and you say, have you got a job? And they say no. And they don't even accept the resume that you've typed up about your school record and how wonderful you are. They don't even accept it. And, and I even went for interviews. And uh, when they did accept my resume, I remember going for an interview with McDonald's. But apparently I wasn't what McDonald's was looking for. I, I was rejected. I didn't get the job. There must have been better candidates for um, serving at McDonald's. And then thankfully Target did employ me. I got a call and I wasn't turned away from that one. But we're turned away quite often. And one of the other examples of being turned away in life is of course by members of the opposite sex. Generally we desire to uh, get married and to find someone to spend the rest of our life with and it is not easy. And uh, some people that you have your heart set upon will turn you away and that happened to me a number of times that I was interested in a girl and believe it or not she was not interested in me as surprising as that might be to hear you know, and so I was turned away by members of the opposite sex and it's not nice you've put a lot of effort into uh, getting to know that person you think that you're going to be the one and, uh, and then you are turned away and we turn away people ourselves it is something that we do and uh, I then did my fair share of turning girls away as well. But it is something that we all do. And Jesus does it as well. Jesus turns many away from himself. And that is what we're looking at this morning in this part of the Sermon on the Mount. We've been going for quite some time now and we're almost at the end. And here Jesus talks about turning people away. And he turns many away. He says this in verse 23, Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Jesus turns many people away. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, this turning away from Jesus. And my first main point as we look at this is, what happens to the many who are turned away? What happens to the many who who are turned away? Because they're not just turned away. We read what actually happens to them and one of the first things we see that happens to them is in verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not all people will enter the kingdom of heaven and these people who are turned away from Christ 
will not enter the kingdom of heaven. They will not enter the kingdom of heaven now as we experience some of the blessings that we have in this life as being part of the kingdom of heaven and they will not enter the kingdom of heaven in the next life. They will not join with Christ in paradise. They will never enter the kingdom of heaven, these people who are turned away. The other thing that we learn about these people, what happens to them, is that Jesus tells them that he never knew them. Verse 23, Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. These people are told, as they are turned away, that Jesus Christ does not know them. Now that may seem surprising because Jesus, of course, is God. And doesn't he know everything? Doesn't he know everyone? Are there some people in the world that Jesus has no knowledge about? Well, that's not what the text is talking about. Yes, Jesus as God is all-knowing. He is omniscient. He knows all things. But there's an intimate knowledge that God can have with some people, a relationship knowledge that God has with his people where he knows them in a way that there's a relationship there of a, like a father with a child. A father knows a lot more about a child than everybody else does. He knows the child and has seen many things happen with that child that other people don't know about. And it's the same with the relationship between a husband and wife. They know things about one another that other people do not know. And that's one of the, the terms in the Old Testament for when a husband and wife come together in marriage that they know one another and then children result of that knowing. The word there is in the Hebrew is just the word for know, for sexual intercourse. It's a knowing that happens. And so there's an intimate knowledge that is there between God and some people. But these people that are turned away are told, I never knew you. And one of the other things that we see that happens to them is that they are cast away from his presence. They're turned away and he says to them in verse 23, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Away from me. Now is this a, a temporary away from me that he's just sending them out and then they can come back later on just like I, um, I went to different shops to ask if I went to that McDonald's asked for employment and then they turned me away but then I could go back as a customer and I did quite regularly. Um, I am one of those people who does like McDonald's. Um, is that what he's saying, that you can't come to me in a specific way? No, he's saying, away from me, you evildoers. He's labelling these people as evildoers and they cannot be in his presence. God cannot have people who are evil in his presence and he cannot have people who are evil in heaven there with him. And so these people are turned away for good. And we know that because it's done on that day. It says there in, in verse 22, Many will say to me on that day. This is all talking about judgment day. What will happen on judgment day? And what happens on judgment day, we know from the Bible, is a final thing. It takes place once and for all. There is no hope after judgment day if you are turned away from God. You are away for good. He turns you away and that's it. There's no second chances. But why are the many here turned away? Why is Jesus turning away anyone? Well, we're given in this text that basically these people trusted in the wrong things. They trusted in the wrong things. That Jesus would accept them because they trusted in some things that were happening in their lives and that they did. And that brings me to my second main point. 
What did the many trust in? These people who were turned away, what did they trust in? Well, there's five things that they trusted in in this text. And we see them presented for us in verse 22. What did these people trust in that would get them into heaven, that Jesus would accept them for? Well, verse 22 says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. So one of the first things that we see that they trust in is that they know how to treat Jesus with respect. They know what to call him. They call him Lord. And they think by saying Lord to him that he will somehow be accepting of him into heaven. What does it mean that they call him Lord? Well, it's a sign of respect. Uh, the word Lord is used in the Bible as an alternative to a word like Sir in the English language. So it shows respect, that they're saying, we respect you, Jesus, so you should accept us into heaven. The other thing that it can mean as well is that Jesus is God. The word Lord is used in the Greek in the Old Testament, uh, the translation of the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament, uh, where it says the name of God, they use the word Lord in Greek. And then that carries over to our English translations and to the New Testament, where Lord can mean God. And so they're trusting in the fact that they acknowledge Jesus as God. They don't just show him respect, but they may even be saying, yes, you are God. And so that means we should be let into heaven. Because not everyone says you are God, Jesus, but we do. So we're good people. You should let us in. So that's the first thing. By calling him Lord, they think that they should get into heaven. The other thing is they don't just call him Lord once, they call him Lord twice. And so the second thing is that they're kind of trusting in is if they're passionate to Jesus, you will let us in. If we say, Lord, Lord, you will accept us into heaven. And people often trust in this. They often trust that by being passionate about Christ and about Christianity, that that will somehow save them. But Jesus says, no, that's not enough to save you. Just calling me God and doing so passionately isn't enough to save you. There are many people in the Bible who call Jesus Lord and do so quite passionately and then we don't see them as his disciples. I mean, particularly when Jesus comes into Jerusalem and there's people all shouting and praising him, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're praising him. Again and again they're saying it. They're saying, Lord, Lord, you're coming. And then where are those people when Jesus is getting crucified? Many people are happy to profess Jesus Christ, but they don't follow through. And people still do that today. There are many people around us that are doing these two things. They're calling Jesus Lord. They're calling Jesus God. And they're doing so quite passionately in some denominations where the gospel is clearly misunderstood. Some churches are filled with people who are happy to acknowledge Jesus as God and they're happy to be passionate about him, but they aren't truly saved. They do not truly understand the gospel. And the classic example is, of course, the, the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, the institution that we know as Roman Catholicism has a very bad understanding of what it means to be saved. But they're filled, Roman Catholic churches are filled with people who acknowledge Jesus as Lord, as God and do so quite passionately. But they don't understand that it is by faith alone that you are saved and not by your works as well. They misunderstand the gospel. And so while they understand that, they are unsaved. Now I'm not saying that there aren't Christians in the Roman Catholic Church, 
But the Roman Catholic institution and what it teaches is that it is by faith and works. And so while they teach that, there are people who are believing that in those churches and are unsaved. The third thing that these people trust in is that they are prophets, that they have prophesied. Verse 22, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? What does it mean to be a prophet? Well, last time when we looked at this text, um, the few verses earlier, uh, we looked at false prophets and I explained that prophets are not just people who predict the future, but they are people who are the mouthpiece of God. And God does, just doesn't tell us what is coming. He tells us lots of things. He tells us how we should behave. He tells us why a situation is the way it is, like the world. Why is the world full of sickness, suffering, pain? It's because of sin. And that's an announcement from God through prophets. And so we have many prophets still today speaking the words of God. I am doing that right now. And you, when you speak to others and proclaim God's word to them, you are being God's mouthpiece. He is speaking through you because you are saying God says you must repent and believe. And so he is proclaiming his gospel through you. But these people trust that because they've been prophets, because they've been used by God to announce his word, that somehow that makes them eligible to heaven. That means they can get into heaven. But Jesus says that's not true. That just because you prophesied in my name doesn't mean you are getting into heaven. And we see examples of that in the Bible all over the place where people proclaim what is true and valid through God, uh, from God when they are clearly not saved. One classic example is King Saul in the Old Testament. He is said to be numbered among the prophets. God, he prophesies. Uh, it's quite plain in the text, twice. The Spirit comes upon him and he prophesies. But King Saul, as far as we know, is not saved. He is not uh, one of God's people at all. He ends very badly his life and David takes the throne. Just because God speaks through you doesn't mean that you are saved. God can speak through a donkey. He speaks through Balaam's donkey in the Old Testament, Balaam's donkey. Just because God has used you to proclaim his word doesn't mean that you are saved. And so sadly many people today do believe that. Bible colleges around the world are filled with people who think because they've studied God's word and they tell people what God has said in his word that that somehow saves them. There are some very liberal Bible colleges around the world and there's always that temptation. People who are immersed in the text of God's word, they have that wonderful blessing of being able to study God's word. They start to think that by knowing God's word so well and telling people God's word so well, that that somehow saves them. Just because someone has been to Bible college or lectured at Bible college or studied God's word and knows Greek and Hebrew doesn't mean they are saved. They cannot say to Jesus, did I not go to Bible college? Did I not prophesy in your name and explain the word to people? That won't save them. One of the other things, the fourth thing, is that they trust in being able to cast out demons. Verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons? 
to cast out demons is something that we do see regularly in the New Testament uh, where demon possession was where demons came upon people and gave them uh, different sicknesses and made them do all kinds of extraordinary things and Jesus cast them out and he gives the authority to his disciples to cast them out as well. It is something that took place in the Bible and apparently it still takes place today in some parts. I've never witnessed any demon possession and I've never exercised a demon but in Australia we don't see much of it but I'm told with uh, credible reports from different missionaries that in certain parts of the world where people embrace the dark arts and magic and have different types of cults that demon possession is something that they do face and that they are called to drive out demons. But even driving out demons, if that is what you are called to do, does not save you, Jesus says. It is a, a wonderful thing to be able to free someone from a demon, but it does not save you just the fact that you've been able to do that. And so we've got to be careful today where people say that they've driven out demons and that they proclaim that they are a wonderful person in Christ because they have driven out demons, that that doesn't necessarily make them a wonderful person in Christ. They shouldn't be trusting in the fact that they can drive out demons. And then the last thing, the fifth thing, is that these people trusted in the ability to perform miracles. Verse 22, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. Miracles are those things that we do see regularly in the pages of the New Testament and they still happen today. Cancer disappears and the doctors can't explain it. People have been praying for that person and they may have been involved in pouring oil on the person's head and suddenly their sickness disappears. Miracles do happen today. But just because God has used you to do miracles doesn't mean that you are saved. And we see that in the New Testament, um, particularly Judas. He's one of the disciples. And a few pages over in, um, in chapter 10 of Matthew 8, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples. Uh, chapter 10, verse 8, it says, what does he send them out to do? In verse 7 he says to these disciples, as you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. And then verse 8 Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. He gives them the authority to drive out demons and they come back saying, yes, yes, it was happening and we were able to do these miracles and Judas is among them. We don't hear that Judas was the, the bad egg that wasn't able to do any of these things. We assume that he was able. He was preaching the word, he was prophesying, he was exercising demons, he was doing many miracles but we know that he came to an awful end and as far as we know he is not saved. Just because people have the ability to do great miracles doesn't mean that they are saved and so when we see people on the television set saying that they can do great miracles in Christ's name and that they can bring people uh, to, to great health again who are previously very sick it doesn't mean that they are great prophets, they are wonderful people and they are saved even themselves. We have to be very careful that we don't trust in people because they can do great miracles. Demons can do great miracles. Just because someone can do great miracles doesn't mean that they are saved. 
Now, those are the five things. I want to be clear that these are all good things in themselves. Okay? These are admirable things. There's nothing wrong with calling Jesus Lord. There's nothing wrong with being passionate about him. There's nothing wrong with uh, prophesying on God's behalf. There's nothing wrong with doing miracles and there's nothing wrong with taking out demons. These are things that Jesus encourages us to do. He encourages his disciples to do them. He encourages us to call him Lord. We are supposed to acknowledge Jesus as God. If you do not, there is a serious problem. It's what's lacking that counts here. These are good things and Jesus authenticates his ministry with casting out demons and healing and these kinds of things. It's what's lacking that is the problem here. These people are trusting in these alone and they're missing something. What are they missing? Well, that's my third main point. What should the many have trusted in? What should they have trusted in? We've seen what they shouldn't have trusted in. What should they have trusted in? And that's given to us in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Only those who do the will of God enter into heaven. It doesn't matter if you've done miracles, if you've prophesied, if you've cast out demons, if you've acknowledged Jesus as God. It matters whether you've done the will of God. What is the will of God? Well, Jesus tells us the will of God for us is that we repent and we believe in Jesus Christ. That we admit we are sinners, we are sorry for our sins and believe in Jesus. Jesus says in John 6, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. That's the will of God, that you believe. There is no sign of these people repenting and believing. They're going on about calling Jesus Lord. They're going on about these miracles. They aren't saying, oh Lord, Lord, did we not repent and believe? No, there's none of that. And that's what I'll be doing on Judgment Day. If Jesus says, get away from me, I'll be going, Lord, Lord, did I not repent and believe? You told me in your word. And thankfully I know he's a just God and he won't turn me away because that's what he has said. I've repented and believed. And then is that it, the will of God? We repent and believe? Now, well, we are meant to do the moral law as well. We are meant to keep God's laws. And we don't see these people doing that. What are they called? They're called evildoers. They aren't called doers of good, get away from me. They're called evildoers. And so we are meant to be keeping God's moral law. That is part of God's will for us, to do the Ten Commandments, to love those around us. Now, in saying that about keeping commandments, you may think, oh, well, doesn't that interfere with this doctrine of faith alone that I was saying the Roman Catholic Church before gets so wrong? I'm now telling you to mix your works in with your faith, that you need to keep God's will if you're going to be saved. Well, the, the way to understand this is that we are justified, this, this is a statement that may be good for you to put into your head. It's attributed to Calvin. I went looking for it this week from Calvin. I, I saw lots of websites say it's Calvin, but none of them reference John Calvin uh, and gave me a reference that I could look it up. Anyway, this statement... We are justified by faith alone, but the faith that justifies is never alone. We are justified by faith alone, 
but the faith that justifies is never alone. We get into heaven by faith alone. But if we truly have that trust in Christ alone, then we will want to do good works. We will want to do those moral laws that Jesus says we should be doing. And if we don't see those, if we are not doers of good, we are doers of evil but repenting and believing, then we show that we haven't really repented and believed, that we have never understood what it meant to be a sinner and to be sorry for that sin. If we are truly sorry, we don't want to do sin any longer. We are trying to do our best to do good and so we try and keep those laws that Jesus has told us about where we love our neighbour as ourselves. And what happens then if you do this will of the Father? Well, of course, the opposite of what Jesus has said happens to those who trust in the wrong things is done for you. You enter the kingdom of heaven. You are known by Jesus. You are not told to go away. You are called a doer of good rather than an evildoer. So I want to close by asking you this morning, what are you trusting in? Are you trusting in the fact that you have called Jesus Lord? That you have acknowledged him as God? Is that what you're trusting in? Are you trusting in the fact that you've been very passionate about calling Jesus Lord and passionate for Christianity? Are you trusting because God has used you to announce his word, that he has given you insights into his word and so you have proclaimed those to other people? all the evangelism that you have done and you've seen people become Christians and be faithful at church, are you trusting in that to get you into heaven? Are you trusting because God has used you to do miraculous things? When you've prayed for people who are sick, they have gotten better and people acknowledge that, you know, oh, it's good to get so-and-so to pray for you because they do mirac- and God uses them to do miraculous things. Is that what you're trusting in? Or are you trusting in the fact that you are doing the will of the Father in heaven? You have repented of your sins and you're continuing to repent day by day. You have believed that Jesus died for you on the cross and you are continuing to believe him day by day and you are trying to understand his will, his revealed will, so that you know how to please him. You are tackling the sins in your lives. If you do that, you are accepted into heaven and I hope that is the case for everyone here this morning, that they have repented, they have believed and are trying to do the will of the Father in heaven. Let us speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we read this text and tremble at how many people will be turned away. It is not a few who are turned away but there are many out there who are trusting in the wrong things. They're trusting in their simple affirmations, their professions of Jesus Christ as Lord. They're trusting in the way that you have used them to speak your words, to do miracles, to cast out demons. Lord, may this not be the case. May many people turn to you and do the will of the Father here in Australia. Many have been turned away and will be turned away but Lord we pray that this may not be the case particularly here in Dremoyne and the surrounding suburbs where we witness. Lord may everyone around here 
do the will of the Father. May they repent of their sins, believe in Jesus Christ and try to do your law. Lord, may you give us strength, even those gathered here in this building this morning, to never trust in those mighty things that you can do through us, but to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and to look at our obedience and see that as a sign that we do have a healthy faith. We do not have a faith that is dead, but we have a faith that is alive because our good works are there accompanying it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.